to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total photonic reversal. Photonic reversal. With your hosts, Conan Neutron and Brenna Betts. Coming to you from the heart of your historically hipster mission. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and quicker power. I'm, I'm from the South. <laughs> I'm a Southern Belle. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Christmas album. What, what an excellent professional segue that was. Well, I'm very curious about Math Rock. No, I kind of know the sound man for Rob Zombie. I'm presenting you the illusion of choice. We will impress you later. Yeah, it's a very good question. And I like that because of the beginning, middle, and the end. Could not be more professional. Get you pumped up. We have answers. I just want to bring something up that I noticed via postings on the internet. It's something like that, indeed, indeed. Welcome once again to another episode of the one, the only... Photonic Reversal. We welcome you to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming. We have Mr. Tim Midget of Bottomless Pit and Silkworm coming on the air. And uh, I just, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be a pretty good time. Brenna Betts in studio, wandering in, in a uh, latent manner. Hello, Brenna. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You, you won't be docked pay. Don't worry. It's, it's not like that. Not <laughs> uh, 
so we got a good show. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Tim. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, actually. I think he's a he's a remarkable human being. He's uh, made some great art, and I think it's going to be a, a damn good time, is what, is, is what I say. So uh, let, let's hear a little bit from uh, Bottomless Pit and uh, while we get oriented here. Silkworm? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll hear Bottomless Pit, and then we'll hear a Silkworm song, and then we'll um, come back up. We'll go back off of these messages, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm coming at you. Uh, this is Fleece. And it goes a little something like this.
Until I blacked out Until I blacked 
Garden City Blues, Silkworm, that is off of the In the West record. And before that, we had, what did we have before that? <laughs> we also had Silkworm. 
and that was a different song than that. That was, I already forgot. It's, it's just one of those mornings. Uh, Miracle Mile, uh, which is off of Firewater. Concept record about drinking alcohol. A uh, really good concept Concept record? record? Yeah, all the songs are about the, the Firewater. The concept of drinking alcohol. Uh, you know, it's 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 everything associated with drinking. Uh, it's it's oh. quite good actually. I'm I'm looking forward to talking to uh, to our guest, uh, Tim Mitchett, about that. Um, and Bottomless Pit Fleece was before that. Fleece was the name of that song. That is off of the, I guess I guess final Bottomless Pit record, Shade Perennial, which that kind of bums me out. Of of many things that bum me out. That's the final. Record. I'm just not going to acknowledge the thing you're pointing at, Brenna. I'm sorry. It's a radio show. I'm There's just... a used Band-Aid here. <sighs> there sure is. It's right in front of me. That's exactly the kind of things that uh, you'll hear is Radio Gold here on... Photonic Reversal. The finest radio show that will point out whatever Band-Aids are left behind by earlier DJs in the room. No Band-Aid left behind. Nope. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, why do I do this to myself? So, yeah, this should be fun. I'm actually, I've, I've been looking forward this. So, when I thought about originally about the concept of, of, of this show, <laughs> because believe it or not, I did think about the concept of this show <laughs> as much as it just seems utterly, uh, fruitlessly extemporaneous. Uh, one of the Whoa, extemporaneous. One of the guests that I thought of originally envisioned mine was Tim from Bottomless Pit and Silkworm because he's, wow, he's had such an interesting happening. and now it's actually happening. Yeah, F- episode 50. Is that a whole year Two. later? Has yes. it been a whole year? Yes, it has been, I think, a little over a calendar. I, I, I'd have to look and see, but yeah. This is around the time I, I joined you last year. Yeah, correct. And I, I, it's it's awesome because, well, and you saw part of the documentary. Yes. Correct. You did My not. internet sucks, so I didn't see the whole documentary. I would have given you the download to, to check out had I know you were going to stream it and that was going to be an issue. But Well, I paid for it. I can go back okay. and watch it. Well, that's true. You know. It's still going to be interesting and good. It's just yeah, it's, it's just it started stopping because it was like buffering or whatever. I mean, it's it's almost like in Deliverance. You're like, oh yeah, Deliverance. Is, some guy's going on vacation. It's like bonding or something. Like, no, no, the movie's not. You <laughs> no. missed the important part of that movie. <laughs> I'm sure I did. No, they're like hanging out. It's like dudes, dudes weekend or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that is. I know better, but that is what it seemed like. To yeah, like oh, these, these guys are. Oh, they're, they're I did the get the, the uh, you know, like a little tip of the sadder part of their their yeah. story. And I, I'm certainly not looking at dwell on that, but I, I hope we can uh, touch upon that as well. And it, it's it's certainly it's not necessarily a defining moment of, of a band that put out such an incredible body of work. Silkworm, of course, is who we're speaking of. Uh, and the documentary is called "Couldn't You Wait." I think it's called. The Couldn't- funny thing is, when I was in New York. Um, at a bar with my friend Lucas, who will be listening to this episode later. So shout out to Lucas. Shout out to Lucas. Um, he, we were talking about movies, because we both really like to watch movies, and that was one that he added to my list. Oh, to check out? It was already on my list. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good. There's a bunch of... It's very well done. It took years for the dude to make, but the if nothing else for the bonus material alone, it's completely worth it. And uh, I mean, it's fantastic. It, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's parts of the story that are really sad. You know, that, yeah, that's that's just that's the well, way it we is. We were around for like a ever, long time. Yeah, for like eighteen years or something. Well, and that's something that you know. And this is a band that uh, you know they were on Matador, they were on Touch and Go, 
And uh, yeah, was it eight albums? Let me see. I might, I might have that wrong. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, ten if you count the uh, kind of odds and sods discography thing and then the last EP. It's a long time EP. Whatever. Lots of records. Lots of records. And if, if they had, those dudes had only just done that, incredible body of work. More than most bands ever will achieve. And by the way, in my opinion, uh, none of them suck. Like it's it's and there's some I definitely like better than others. Let's be clear, but that's an incredible. That's a remarkable achievement. That I always say that there's very few bands that you you can name that doesn't have at least one album that's just a face plant. Like <laughs> just a yeah. really bad that have been around for that long. Around, I think I think I came up with the criteria for this game. I think it was over four records. I can, I might be wrong about that. I think it's over four records that like one of them doesn't suck, and they meet that criteria. One of the, one of the few bands that meet that criteria. Yeah. The crazier thing, and the bottomless pit, which is like an incredible second act, which are just amazing. Like you know, taking a lot of the spirit and soul of the Silkworm songs, but kind of put more sadder, almost kind of uh, not Joy Division esque, because that sounds like Interpol. (laughs) That's what that means now. But like, just kind of like that energy as well. That sort of like dark post punkish, yeah, energy. Yeah, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, they never really got that famous. No, and they Which were. Which is an interesting, huge, like, overtone to that movie that people talk about. Yeah, they always were kind of on the precipice of, like, breaking into, like, a, a next thing, but, like, they meant a lot to the people that did get into them. Yeah, and you can definitely tell that by watching the movie, yeah, the interviews. They're a band that uh, does not have many casual fans, Silkworm, and, uh, and Bottomless Pit as well. And I think that's interesting that. Yeah, it, it's there, there's a lot of the stories interesting. I'm really excited to talk to him. He's going to be on the phone with us uh, very shortly, and uh, it, it's just it's it's a great time. Like I said, when I originally envisioned this show, this is exactly the kind of thing that I was like, yes, this is the kind of thing I want to do because I've I've so much like I I'm sure that like by the time we get to the end of it, I'm like ah, there's like a million things I more I want to ask, but uh, I'm going to take advantage of the, of the time we have, and I think it'll be a good time. He's a remarkable you know if human being. Tim Midget is married. He is. He's uh, Vicky. His wife is actually in the in the extras, and not something I want to talk to. She actually like travel around with them and stuff, which is such a like really like a tour Nona. I mean, you thought he was handsome, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you totally thought he was a handsome devil. Yes, he he's a handsome devil. He is a handsome devil. Uh, I, I saw you going at that. <laughs> so you with those with those well, eyes. <laughs> I'm not gonna Bread best, say anything about it to him. No, it's just a matter of public record now. <laughs> You're oh. welcome, America. Uh, no, I, 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 it, it's that's interesting too. I mean, he's 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 a fascinating guy. And rather than telling you about it, uh, we should probably just you know demonstrate it. But I, yeah, it's it's a big it's a big show for me. It's a big show for me. I'm looking forward to this. It's gonna be a good time. Wow, you're really excited. I wish I had yeah. coffee for you. Yeah, I wish you had coffee for me too. Uh, more more pr- appropriately, I wish I had coffee filters because you can't yeah. really raw dog it with coffee. It's gonna take taste nasty. I've never thought about using the concept of raw dogging it with coffee. Yeah, I mean, you We're could do out like of a coffee filter in a in a crunch. You could do like the like a napkin or like a or paper a sock. towel or something. Ugh. I'm not wearing socks today. <laughs> Jesus. Come on, cowboy coffee? You never heard of that? No. That's actually when you just put water in it. We could also do that. I could heat up some water and put it in a cup with the coffee, and it would eventually the particles sink to the bottom so you don't end up drinking them. Okay. Well, well. That's called camp coffee, also known as cowboy coffee. 
Just saying. It's a thing. I've done it before. It's not terrible. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll uh, tell we you We can what. experiment, and we'll report back to you guys later. Yeah. We okay. are going to work that out on our side, and when we- oh. May I? Oh. May I? Oh, oh, what? May I tell you about the show that I went to on Tuesday? Yeah, sure. I was just about to do a break, but uh, you, you want to do it afterwards? You want to talk about it now? Is it, is it quick? Is it is it a novella or is it a, is a short story? It's it's more of like a prologue. Okay. <laughs> I saw this band called The Soft Moon at the chapel on on Tuesday. Yeah, you're talking about this band. Yeah. It that. Absolute best live performance I've seen in a really long time. Really? What 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 struck you? Well, we can play their music later and you'll understand a little bit more about um, their sound, but all the instruments are live instruments, which surprised me. And like the singer was playing bongos at one point, which sounds weird, I know, for me to say. Yeah, but if you would hear <laughs> like if Peter you Gabriel heard the something. music, it would make a lot more sense of how amazing that okay. is because it was like... And they also had, like, a light show going on behind them. Um, it was just, like, really, really, really awesome and totally made me feel dancey, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen right. very much at shows. And this I was is, not these, bored at all. These dudes were local or they were... Uh, they're, what, originally, the, they're originally from Oakland, but I think they've been traveling around, touring and stuff so much that they... I don't know where they live now. Like, I think they moved to L.A. or Brooklyn or something, like... They've been a band for several years, but all right. Well, we'll really, we'll, really, really great. We'll hear a little bit about. We'll hit a little bit. Let's try that again. Uh, we'll hear something from that band a little later on. Right now, we'll hear another Silkworm song, and then uh, when we return, hopefully, we'll be talking to uh, Mr. Tim Midget. And mm-hmm. we're quite looking forward to that. So this mm-hmm. is uh, Never Met a Man I Didn't Like.
having some technical difficulties here on the one and only Proton Conversal, so sit back and enjoy the melodies, take a nice relaxing second cup of coffee perhaps if you are so lucky as to have that and uh, hopefully we'll be back shortly with uh, with our guests. Yeah! Guests are cool. I'm looking forward yes. to this if it ever happens. It's going to yes. be awesome. Hooray! Also, technical difficulties soak. So uh, let's uh, let's, hear, let's hear some more music. Music's good. Let's, uh, I like music. Let's play the soft moon. Yeah, let's uh, play this because because this is cardinal movements.
catch of the century A simple attack Back in the knowledge You can live without What it means to be careful What it means to count You've been waiting on a winter wind Like you can get something Winter wind is not a waste of time, but since we're already working with a little bit of delay, we're just going to hop right into it. I'd like to welcome on the air to Proton Conversal none other than Mr. Tim Midget. Hello, Tim. Hey, how's it going there? It's going a lot better now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit stressed out. I'm not going to lie. That's uh, all right. I made a specious mm-hmm. assumption that things should just work, and uh, I realize the error of my ways now, but uh, <laughs> it, it's how we roll. I'd like to thank you very much for joining us on the show, man. It's, it's Sure, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute honor to have you. Uh, so we were just playing some, some bottomless pit there. I did, cool. did, did sort of like the soft fade uh, as far as that goes. That's something <laughs> that uh, uh, bottomless pit as a band is no more now, correct? Uh, true. Yeah, it's not like an extended hiatus and everything. It's kind of closed chapter. Well, you know that's what you call it when it starts. You know, because you don't want to close any doors, and I still don't really want to close any doors. But it doesn't. It doesn't feel like we'll be doing anything in the near future. You know, put it that way. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I'm a, I'm 
kind of bummed about that because I, I quite liked you guys, but I'm glad I finally at least got to see you play at least the one time when you came to San Francisco <laughs> that, that last time. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was a great, that was a great tour. And, um, we played at, uh, bottom of the hill, which is one of my favorite uh, clubs in the world. Really. I love that place. And was that been the playing, time? Been playing there for a real long time. Yeah. I saw Silkworm there. Uh, gosh, long, long time ago. Let's just go ahead and say, Generally. Yeah, we probably, I don't know how long it's been around, but I feel like we started playing there uh, pretty much when we started touring almost, like 92 or something like that, or 91. It's been around for quite a long time, yeah. I, th- I want to say, I want to say you're right, I want to say it was like 91 or so, because the whole noise pop thing definitely that was built up kind of was centered around bottom of the hill and yeah it's just a great club and ramona is super cool and we just never last time we were there uh kind of a telling thing happened where i had an unfamiliar van and on my way into the club i went out to get something from it before we played and on my way back in i did something stupid with the key fob and I opened up the back of the van, like, wide open. Oh, man. <laughs> so, and I didn't notice, you know, and we had some luggage and probably computers and, like, all this merch back there. And so we go in. I don't have no idea. We play the show. I'm at the merch table afterwards, and the door guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, is that your blue van out there? And I'm like, yeah. Why did someone break into it? And he's like, no, nah, the back doors were wide open. And he's like, oh I closed them. And I'm oh like, oh, my God. I'm like, was there anything in there? He's like, oh, I think I probably closed them an hour ago, and it looked like it was full of stuff. <laughs> oh, man. So the, guy kind of, so this, the door guy at the bottom yeah. hill kind of saved your ass then a little bit. He I totally mean. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a cool place, and people who run it are really cool. So, Well, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I know there was a on the one of the, the places that both you and I haunt, there's a, yet another thread about touring. And, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of, well, I thought it was a very smart point that a lot of times, like, you know, if you're in, like, a major city, like, you know, the move might be to, like, go out to the suburbs or something, like, out a little yeah, ways. Yeah. So you just kind of get away from the uh, from the risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's worth it to hang out in a town and, um, you know, hang out with friends or have a good time or whatever. But, yeah, we always I pretty much try to, and this happened in SF a lot because, you know, it's, People get their stuff stolen in San Francisco, not too much more than any other place. But, yeah, we would generally drive to some place that was really boring and uh, bucolic, and then we would stay there just so we didn't have to worry so much about guitar amps being liberated from the van. <laughs> being li- yeah, liberated from their captors. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, because Silkworm did quite a bit of touring, and, I mean, you guys were sort of, sort of seasoned road dogs by the time I was... Yeah. introduced you and i i, I kind of think that was interesting that like have you found that uh like do you miss touring that as much as you did back then are there things that you miss about it there are things i miss about it for sure um we stopped i mean we toured super heavily from probably 93 to 97 and when i say super heavily at our peak we probably did six or seven months a year for a couple of years yeah that's a lot. a lot that's, that's a, a lot. lot and um Especially when you're us, you know, when you're, if you're like, uh, uh, you know, Metallica or something or Metallica, even if you're like built a spill or something, it's probably not quite as much of a grind, but, um, you know, for us, we're like driving ourselves around in a van, basically breaking even or maybe slightly better on the road. And then you get home and you have to pay your rent, you know? So, so yeah, so it was, it was super fun. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm super glad I did it, but uh, we did it. We did that as long as we could. 
And you did it for quite some time. I mean, that's that's kind of like uh, the whole you know the whole time you were staff favorite on Ma- like for Matador. You know, it's always yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of like yeah, certainly the the whole time we were on Matador, and part of what probably got us off Matador <laughs> was uh, deciding that you know let's not let's not do this anymore. We want to continue to enjoy making music, and we've gotten we still toured a lot fair amount sure. after that you know a couple months a year maybe but um it seemed more targeted though rather than just it was uh, yeah we did total barnstorming tours you know like we would play i don't want to name places because then people feel like hey that's my town my town is cool but we would uh we played <laughs> we played every place we tried right. to play every night you know and um yeah it was definitely a great experience well, um to do it and so and I guess that might be something that, uh, you know, when you're doing the, the more barnstorming tours, of course, you're, you're probably, you know, you're, you're kind of targeting places that either you have roots at or that you like playing or there's bands you want to play with or whatnot. But th- there is kind of some some valor in displaying the show where you're just like a flying saucer appearing. Yeah, yeah. I totally well. agree with that. And uh, some of my um, some of the some of the most memorable experiences that we had were shows like that, where we weren't necessarily welcome. <laughs> you know, we weren't want, you know, I've told stories about the crazy, weird sort of, I guess, terrible in a way shows a lot more than the ones about the really good ones. Cause there's not much to say about a great show. Right. <laughs> Those are the you ones that stick out. Wait, so yeah. where, when, what, the, let's hear one of these stories. What, what was like one of the weirdest oh, okay. shows you played? All right, so probably the single weirdest show we played, I don't think I'm missing anything, was in uh, Huntington, West Virginia. Mm. So we played at this place. I think we only played, we played in West Virginia two or three times, and it was always really weird. And, <laughs> West uh, <laughs> Virginia is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a weird place, right? So anyway, we get there. We're touring with these friends of ours in this band, Engine Kid, who are a really awesome band from Seattle. Yeah, I remember uh, them. Yeah, and the bass player, Crafty's in a band called Bali Girls. Uh, the uh, drummer, Jade, still plays music. And Greg Anderson runs Southern Lord Records, and he's in Sun and, uh, and Goat Snake and stuff like that. But we're still really good friends with all those guys. I love those guys a lot. So anyway, uh, we're touring with Engine Kid. We show up at this club. And we had played a show. The guy who's promoting the show is also the manager of a band that I won't name. And we played with that band in, it's kind of a long story, sorry. Played with that band in Cleveland. And it was the day Kurt Cobain disappeared. And people thought so. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, so we were outside talking to our friends like, wow, I wonder what happened to Kurt Cobain. And also, we just knew people from Cleveland and we were outside talking to them. And evidently, the fact that we didn't, there were like 120, 350 people there. But evidently, the fact that we weren't in the club was like somehow a slight to this band. So it got back to their manager <laughs> guy. Their manager guy, I, I don't know what his name was. I'll call him Burley. Burley was like uh, <laughs> good old Burley. Burley. Yeah, good old Burley. He was a promoter of the show, and it got back to him, and he had this grudge against us, and he'd like turned like half the town against us somehow for some <laughs> imagined. I don't think we said anything to anyone. You know, maybe that was a problem. So. Anyway, he's buying Engine Kid drinks, and he won't buy any anyone in Silkworm drinks. <laughs> and we, we get up there and start playing, and we played, and uh, we finished the song, and uh, we stop, and uh, no one 
does anything. No noise at all. <laughs> whoa. They just, they just have their arms folded and they're looking at us. There are probably like 30 or 40 people there. We're like, whoa. That's so odd. We do, it, we do it again, same thing happens. So then we just played for like 40 minutes, no stops, like made noise in between songs and stuff. And we got done and Engine Kid was pretty drunk by this point. They weren't a heavy drinking band, but they were super drunk. And they're like, man, uh, you know, to hell with these guys. I don't know if I can swear. And uh, Yes, you can. Please swear away. Said, okay, well, they're like, fuck these guys. And, and then they're like, can we use your gear? And we said, sure. We figured they were just going to use our stuff and, you know, whatever. Uh, they didn't want to load their things. So what they actually did is they combined all of our amps, which we had a substantial number of amplifiers. And, stuff, <laughs> and then all of their amps, which was like more than we had probably. And so Greg's playing through. Joel Phelps is still in the band, so we were playing. He was playing through like three stacks, <laughs> and Crafty, their bass player, is playing through two guitar amps. And um, oh my god, they were unbelievably loud. To do your trophy wives, Jesus, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, it was one of the last things I've ever seen, and uh, just super messy. But they were awesome. Like usually they're a pretty tight band and they weren't tight at all, but it was really great. Right, right. And in, in between every song, Greg would go up to the mic and be like. Fuck you! <laughs> just, just yell at the crowd, and then the crowd got into it. But their way of showing they were into it was to throw bottles at the band. Oh no! So they were throwing oh, bottles, no. and they would break on the wall and fall. It's on like their heads. Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, it was. It was totally without the without the chicken wire cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the more so dangerous. Then, I don't know. They played the show, and then afterwards, we felt like maybe we weren't going to get paid, so we took the the mic box with all the mics from the club and brought it to the van uh, so that we would have something to show for our evening. And uh, then they did pay us and we, we brought the mic box back to the club. Man. And then we got the hell out of Huntington. So was it like a coordinated effort where they're like, all right, when they play a song, don't clap, don't acknowledge them. Yeah, yeah. It was like a... Uh, Weird. Yeah, it was like word had gotten out, like no quarter for these guys, no clapping. <laughs> Yeah. That's so Sp- weird. Uh, Spread the word around. Yeah. Yeah. It was strange. But yeah, so that, I don't know. That one sticks out. That's nuts. Well, it, and it seems like it was interesting that uh, to me, you know, one, one of uh, my favorite songs of you guys' uh, Silkworm on Firewater is uh, Miracle Mile, which is, oh, yeah. it seems like it's definitely pulled from at least uh, partially from, from, from real life experience. And if not, a very convincing allegory. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. No, all that stuff is. <clears throat> there's just a bunch of stuff in there like uh we we did play at cbgb's at three in the morning on the fourth the the morning after i guess the fourth of july oh. we went to, it was funny because we went to central park and we saw sonic youth and sunraw play whoa in central park it was super packed july 4th show beautiful yeah that's awesome uh, pretty great show and you know sonic youth was fine they were good sunraw was cool and, and plus it was just weird and cool and then that night we go to so then we pat we leave the Central Park and we go to go back to CBGB and suffer through like six bands that are terrible and then as CBGBs was known for doing yeah that. we go on, and we're the quote we're the last band which is not headlining right that's like cleanup crew yeah we call that so, the California compliment out here yeah 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 <laughs> everyone knows the middle slot is the best place to be in a bill but this is unusually bad because we went on at three or four in the morning. And the sound guy was so loaded on something. He wasn't drunk. He was on something. And uh, he was. we started, and he's like, you're going to have to turn down that guitar. 
and we didn't. And CBGB, you know? So, yeah, uh, and, then, and then he's like, I'm going to kill you if you don't turn down that guitar. And so I think we still didn't turn down. We played, like, we played for like 20 minutes and no one was there. There were like three people that we knew. So, oh. yeah, there, there's a lot of stories like that. You know, they're. They're endless. We have a question from from the chat box. The the Fort Lee Garage line. What's what's that all about? What's that? Oh, okay. Well, this is also. I'll try to make this short. We played at CMJ. That show was actually really good. It was very early, ninety two or something. And we always did well in cities other than Seattle to start. Like we ate, <laughs> we just ate shit in Seattle for like four years, and then we would do really well in San Francisco, and New York, and Chicago, which kind of buoyed our spirits, right, and kind of kept us going so we had a good show in new york and it was fun and we felt like oh that, that was great saw our friends and stuff or made friends probably at that early stage we're driving out of town uh it's late at night and we um get a flat and it's rainy and i'm jacking up the suburban that we're touring in and the jack slips and the leaf spring breaks uh on the on the rear uh driver's side of the of the car so we're sitting there, and this is in the day before cell phones, mobile phones. So we're like, uh, shit, you know, what are we going to do? And some cops pull over, and they're like, hey, do you guys need help? And we're like, yeah, could you call AAA for us? Well, they don't call AAA. They call their buddies at this place, Auto Assist. And Auto Assist shows up at the tow truck, and we're like, oh, okay, this is the AAA tow truck. No, it was for this garage that was, like, well-known, it turned out, for scamming people. And oh, they, no. they towed her suburban and they had it there for like 10 hours. Oh, and no. they, uh, they charged us like, I don't know, 800 bucks. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so we were so pissed and tired by the time we got done, we just got in the van and we drove 55 straight hours <laughs> from, from Portly to Seattle. Like, oh man. It just deadheaded all the way back to Seattle. At one point in the middle, I drove like 22 hours or something like that from Pennsylvania to Montana, you know. Jeez. So, uh, yeah, but it turned out these guys were scam artists, and um, the punchline is that we got all our money back because the New Jersey Department of Consumer Affairs sued them. And, oh, wow. Uh, Holy crap. Yeah, miraculously, we got our money back. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, they'd taken cars away from people and stuff, so we got off easy. Man, this sounds like a like a plot for a show on FX or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, one of you know. Again, there are a lot of you know, and and having been through stuff like that, um, a lot of stuff like that. It's it's good life training because you learn how to think on your feet, you right. make mistakes. Um, it's not particularly safe, I guess, but it's safer than being in the Marines or something. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it it also, it it also, I feel like, uh, we figured out how to make making music sustainable kind of, cause you, you learn how to, you get good when you play that much on the road. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's known as tour tight. Yeah. Like where there's a special kind of, uh, just being tight with the songs that only happens when you're playing it every night and you're in the rhythm of being a band. Totally. Yeah. And that sticks with you. And, makes it easier to make records and feeds into songwriting and all that stuff. So are these the kind of experiences, though, that you would think of when someone asks if you missed the road? <laughs> uh, no, mostly I think about pulling into, um, like that last tour the Pit did of the West Coast was great because we'd pull into every town and we knew people. Yeah. And people were excited because we didn't come through that much. And uh, the sh- every show was good, at least good. Most of them were great. 
And um, that's what I think of, honestly. Like, I think that stuff is really fun. I don't love being away from my family for more than about a week. At sure, a time. yeah. And so, that's, uh, that's a big difference because uh, you are. Huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, so the difference between, like, uh, that's something I want to touch on. You know, rocking, rocking out now, touring, making records, and being a father as well. Like, how has that changed? How has that changed yeah. your life, I guess, might be the question. Well, I don't. I honestly don't envy any. I know a bunch of people who make a living playing music, and I don't honestly envy any of them because at a certain point they have to do stuff they don't want to do, and it's connected to making music. And I don't want to commingle things I don't want to do with making music. (laughs) Totally, no, I I want to. I want to want. I want to want to do whatever it is that I do having to do with music and whether it's touring or making records or whatever i don't ever want to have to put out a record when i don't want to or i don't think it's ready i don't ever want to play a show if i don't want to do it you know so um i don't i don't envy people who have to do that and i i have a lot of you know like uh I'm, I'm friends with john darnell from the mountain goats and ah, love you know, that he'll guy. Po- he'll, yeah he'll post on facebook and stuff about you know being on tour for a couple of weeks and he flies home whenever he can because uh, he misses being around his family, you know, and yeah, I, just yeah. think I would have a tough time with that. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that. I mean, he's got a pretty sweet deal. He's done real well for himself, but um, you know, that aspect of it is is tough if you're really trying to make a go of it, I think financially, you know? Well, totally. And I mean, do you find that, you know, we are talking about like the more barnstorming tour, kind of stuff that it kind of becomes necessary but do you do you find that it means like it do things pop for you more does it mean more now than it did then in some ways or is it kind of still the same uh in terms of like the details like can you retain like do is it is it mean i guess that's kind of a bad question sorry but uh (laughs) when you're touring all the time versus like playing you know say like you know 12 shows a year or something along those lines oh yeah yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I would think that uh, it would be harder to um, to sort of get up for playing when you don't play as much, but uh, it's really not. Like, I, I feel the same on stage as I ever did. Um, I don't I don't know. It's hard because uh, I actually don't remember a lot of the specific shows <laughs> when, when we played live. And, and to tell you the truth, the experience what I was getting at before playing a good show is kind of the same every time because the good shows, well, the best shows you get up there and then for me, at least they're over and I don't really know what happened, you know, right. yeah, I'm just kind of in this like zone the whole time. So that feeling is so, um, so kind of, uh, nothing in a way, you know, that, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to put a you know, quality on it. You know, it's just, it's kind of like this pure state, you know, um, so as long as I can get there, you know, sixty percent of the time when I play live, then uh, I'm going to be about equivalently happy. You know, work sixty percent of the time, all the time. Yeah, ideally all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's and you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier John Darnell and uh, the Mountain Goats, and mm-hmm. uh, they did a they did a cover, uh, they did a Silkworm, Silkworm cover a couple years back. Uh, they, oh, did, yeah, they did yeah. plane, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying that with those guys in Chicago, that was a lot of fun. And it's crazy to me because I'm I'm actually a really big Mountain Goats fan as well. But I kind of, I guess in my own 
in my own mind, I kind of thought that uh, I, I kind of think of silkworm and mountain goats as not necessarily being intersecting circles, but it was like a really neat thing when I was like, oh, wow, that's not something I expected, but really cool. Like, is that something yeah. that did he surprise you with that or was that a. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I mean, I kind of had this like blank spot for a lot of bands that were active the same time we were the most active uh, in the mid 90s. Like I didn't see the Jesus Lizard until they reformed, or I didn't. Oh no, kidding! Okay, I, I had no, I had no uh, desire. I, I had no feel for um, like either Come or Coding at the time. And now, you know, now I, I mean, I heard Come like a year and a half ago. Someone was playing it, something at random. I'm like, what the hell is this? This is great, you know? Right, and, right. Uh, and uh, so there's some stuff that I miss for sure. And Mountain Goats are like that, like. I just didn't. I wasn't around to go see him or them play at the time. And yeah, you're too busy I, being in hunting West Virginia, and not being clapped for. Exactly, and I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't exactly. I wasn't buying as many new records and stuff. So, uh, so I was surprised because I guess I just. Uh, you just never know. I, I, I kind of feel like I must know everyone who listens to our records, but that's not the case. And now I know John, so maybe I do know everyone. <laughs> he was the last guy. He was—he was—he's yeah. the only dude he didn't know. <laughs> yeah, right. No, and it's—but but I think it's interesting because, in the same way that you know the the documentary that Seth did, uh, couldn't you wait? The the story of Silkworm. Uh, there's a there's a quote from someone. I think it. Let's just say it's Dan Moore from the Bismarck that talks about how there's no such thing as a casual silkworm fan. Everyone's like an obsessive German B-side collecting, <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's true, but it kind of it gives you sort of an idea of, of the depth of, uh, you know, it meaning a lot to a few people, but not necessarily being known to everybody. Yeah, that's definitely the case with us. Um, I would say by and large that's true where uh, the people who are into it, are really into it and and most people who aren't that into it just don't want to know you know uh it just doesn't compute for them and uh i, I totally get that now at the time i just accepted it i never had a problem with that at all but now i actually get it because i've had to go back and we remixed in the west the other day our the second silkworm record and oh really uh, yeah and libertine of course came out so we had to remaster that and revisit it and I think those records, I was surprised at how much I loved them. And I think, I think they're great, but they're also really weird. Like there's, it's an odd insular kind of music that we were making, particularly when Joel was in the group, I think. And uh, although maybe that's just because I haven't listened to the other records recently, but you know, I get it totally. Like that's not, that's not easy listening music. It's not, well, it's not. It's not stuff that just you put on a party necessarily and it goes over super well, you know. Right. I, it seems weird to me now. It probably sure. depends on the party, I'm sure. But, uh, it, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's unique in the fact that it, it doesn't – you can't easily check the, like, oh, yeah, they're like a classic rock throwback or they're a post-punk thing or they're – Yeah, I don't, you know. th- I don't think so. I don't – I didn't feel – I mean, I'm a little biased maybe, but I have some distance from it now. Those records came out 20 years ago and it's not like I've listened to them a lot in the interim some, but not a lot. I mean, five but, times a day, but not a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, they're on a schedule. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like I have some distance from them, and I don't think they sound dated. I no, really I, I, I actually would agree with that. I think that's actually kind of a remarkable trait for the time period, because yeah. I think a lot of records that came around that time, I still listen to them, but I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds like the 90s. Yeah, yeah. It, doesn't sound, <laughs> it doesn't sound dated to me anyway, and uh, 
that's gratifying because at the time, I remember driving around Seattle and when we were really scuffling, it was hard to get shows and blah, blah, blah. And we, we'd feel sorry for ourselves sometimes. And I, just, I remember telling those guys at one point, like, in, in 15 or 20 years, people are still going to be buying our records. And I don't know if they're going to be buying records by these other bands, but <laughs> by then. And uh, it sort of turned out to be the case, you know, in our sort of small way. Uh, that's the way it, you know, that music has endured on some level and that that is kind of gratifying i have to admit well and it, it seems like it's a very common theme too because i mean even speaking for myself uh first first and second time that i saw you was with shellac you guys did a tour it was like seattle victoria vancouver like oh Canada. yeah and a uh a, a quite a wonderfully nuts friend of mine decided that uh, we should go to those shows because she's this obsessive shellac fan and uh-huh. I, I saw so i saw you guys for the first time in seattle and i was like oh yeah or whatever the first one was and whatever Whatever the first one of that show was, and I think it was Seattle. And I was like, oh, yeah, pretty cool. You know, and I honestly didn't think too much of you guys. But it was in Victoria that, Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember right, and I could be remembering this wrong, it's been a long time. I think you you guys opened with the Garden City Blues, and it was like halfway through that song. I was like, oh, I think I kind of get what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly, like, I listened again. I was like, oh, this band's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's uncommon. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to engage in hype. Verbally, but I do th- I do think that uh, we developed our own way of playing together. And one of the things I immediately recognized about Come when I sort of revisited that stuff is they did exactly the same thing. They yeah. they Unique were bluesier sound, yeah. than we were and stuff. But the the ways in which we were similar were that they developed their own language of how they played together. And I mean, like Michael Douglas learned how to play the drums with with us, you know. Right. So that whole thing was just totally inward looking and it, it had it had been like that since we started playing together in missoula in the early 80s you know we'd never looked outside of ourselves for influence or advice or anything so i think that really came through in the music and i think it makes it stronger music it makes it less of an easy sell <laughs> you know but that's fine you know we weren't in it for that we always and still just do it because we get off on it and like like making music together yeah, and it's it well it's interesting because it, it kind of makes it difficult to explain why someone should check it out. Like I think I first time I had someone yeah. explain it to me it's like, "Oh, they're awesome. They're kind of like pavement but completely different." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. What is Yeah, it's funny cuz we uh uh we would always get compared to whatever the thing was at the time that was a little out little off kilter. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we would always get compared like we got compared early on to uh REM and then it was Who's Do, and then it was Dinosaur, and then it was like, uh, then it was Pavement, you know, and, uh, or, you know, whatever. Like, it would just sort of stair step through these bands that we never, I mean, I, I like those bands, some of them I like a lot, but um, never felt like they were really feeding back into our music in a heavy way, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so it's not like we were, like, uh, just, just like, flitting around to different influences it was just funny that people's perspective on it would be like oh now they sound like the pixies you know right <laughs> or whatever so and yeah, sometimes it's just funny. people's touchstone that's like what their their reference point of it is yeah and and like i said i do think i don't i don't think it's uh an exaggeration to say that it's hard to get a handle on it in some of that music so you know people do what they can to relate to it which is I, I always have that issue with like trying to describe 
you guys or whatever band to a person who's never heard it and because people like to attach genres yes oh it's indie rock that doesn't mean anything yeah what does that even mean (laughs) it doesn't mean anything in this day and age it's gone so far like that could be i don't know some sort of synth pop like electronic thing that's new or it could be like more guitar based weird something slow It, it could be anything yeah, yeah. It's so hard. It's never, uh, definitely back when we were in the thick of things, uh, that just kind of referred, no one used that term in bands. And uh, it just kind of, to me, always just was like the means of production defined you as being indie rock, you know, or right. your, your economic status. Right. And then, you know, now I don't know what it means. I think for me, it's, <laughs> it's a, a caricature of itself. I feel like yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean anything. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's in you know it's interesting like what yeah what isn't is not defined as indie rock and of course you know when uh, you guys for being a matador and uh, touch and go like two of the you know considered rightly so like the, some of the hallmark uh, indie labels and whatnot but it, it's interesting that there was such a, I mean at a time you know the, the word alternative was like the, the catch all phrase that That's meant nothing. True. And yeah. <laughs> now it's a different. I like alternative music. What is that? An what alternative that to what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? I mean, modern country is an alternative. Right. Yeah, right. That's true. Ooh, sure is. Alternative <laughs> to something I like. Yeah. <laughs> Both kinds of music, country and western. Indeed. <laughs> so, as a dude, and and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't drink anymore, correct? Alcohol. So. How is it that having what I feel like is probably the only fully realized concept record about by for and around alcohol, uh, Firewater, and yeah. having kids kind of discover that as as you, and sometimes as the gateway into the band that, that you know, they yeah. discover like oh these guys yeah they party yeah <laughs> yeah that's funny that people would come to that conclusion because I think it's a pretty. Uh, Yes, it was our want a lot of the times. It's a pretty downbeat record in a lot of respects. Sure, um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, but, I think it know, kind of runs the gamut. Like, there's, like, the more depressive side of it, and there's also the more celebratory side of it. Like, it, that's, I think, kind of, yeah. like, the strength of the record. I think it just sort of, we never, uh, we've, I never have, and, and we never did, conceptualize stuff. It would just the songs would come out, and then you'd look at them, and there'd be some thread through it that made them match up. You know, and uh, so you take the stuff that kind of work together and all of that stuff seemed to have the sort of common thread of this kind of hard bitten view of the world that was sort of influenced by uh, abusing yourself, sort of. So, uh, I mean, we grew up in Montana and the band started in Montana and we were exposed to, you know, well, we grew up there and um, it's a pretty hard drinking environment and, you yeah. know. Uh, to say the least, um, and certainly, you know, you know, I have my own issues with it. I, I quit a month before I turned twenty, so I oh, got man, I got I got my licks in for like three and a half years. <laughs> but it was clear to me that I should probably not do it anymore. And um, and you know, we've all had experiences in our families and stuff. And uh, I'm not telling tales out of school to say Joel Phelps went through the ringer right. uh, on that stuff. And mercifully uh, came out the other side. But, um, you know, and we all know people who've been through it. So it just it ended up being a resonant thing for us at that point in our lives for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, that album sort of took form around 
not not just booze or whatever, but just kind of this like sort of beating yourself up to feel alive kind of vibe. Right. And uh, yeah. So somehow Matador thought that was going to be our big breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> beating yourself up to feel alive. Yeah. 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 yeah That's right. a thing that we all do. I'm pretty sure. Killing yeah. yourself to live. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's 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 interesting to me because it actually was my my introduction to you guys, and I was like, oh, these guys, because you have your kind of more celebratory sounding songs, if uh, even if they're not necessarily celebratory, but then they have like you know the more maudlin stuff that's in there. I was like, oh, there's a lot of depth here. Like, there's it's kind of hard to pin down. There's a lot, yeah, a lot happening. Yeah. We revisited that theme a little bit on this song, Bourbon Beard, from yeah, uh, from uh, Italian Platinum. Yep. And uh, I felt like, for me, that lyric and way of doing it really got the whole picture. Like, I felt like it's not a happy song, but it's sort of celebratory because, you know, when you're in that place, you do feel good sometimes. <laughs> totally. You feel, you feel good in a way that's super exaggerated. And... Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have any connection to reality, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think it's uh, people do a lot to try to fill up holes in themselves and in their lives, and you know that's kind of what that record was about. And we've probably written about that, you know, uh, kind of a lot, I guess. Now that I think about it, sure. Well, it almost seems like. You know, and again, not to put words in your mouth, but it almost seems like a lot of a lot of the themes that you've done in the bottomless pit sort of uh, certainly embody that tone and, and sort of theme. Especially, you know, sound wise, it's a little more spacious and kind of it, to me almost seems more informed by a sort of darker, uh, yeah, post punk totally. might be the wrong term, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that if bottomless pit was a very heavy band in terms of the subject matter and in terms of. Uh, what we what the songs ended up being about, but for the most part, you know, there wasn't a lot of. Uh, I think that it was um, it wasn't uniformly dark. I think it was cloudy, you know, but uh, uh, it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of you know, super bright, you know, joy joyfulness in in that music, which is which was fine. I mean, that's where things were for us, and uh, and uh, that that felt like an authentic you know expression of what we were what we were dealing with and stuff so well and that's and again i don't i don't want to belabor the point you certainly covered another material and uh you know the documentary pretty adequately covers as well but i mean you had a huge loss that uh yeah yeah in in your yeah. life and and for those that uh that somehow are blundering into this episode blind and are not, <laughs> are not aware uh drummer michael dahlquist of, of silkworm was, was his life was taken by a a woman who was attempting to commit suicide by crashing into another car yeah, which yeah. is the uh, Brenna has only seen the first part of the documentary. To which I explained it must be like seeing Deliverance and seeing like, hey, there are these guys going on a fun trip. <laughs> yeah. Not quite, not quite. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> My internet went out, and I couldn't watch it, <laughs> no, but no, I tried. I, that's all right. You, you uh, I you paid can... for it, and I will watch the rest of it later. <laughs> un, 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 understood. Or, or you could stop now and just have that have the happy memories. Uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I, as I said earlier, <laughs> I did touch on the 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 entrance to the more, you know, cloudy, dark story or whatever. Like, but yeah, my yeah. friend Lucas, 
who is a very good friend of mine I just visited in Brooklyn, we were talking one night um, in a bar about movies we like, and he actually took my phone and wrote, couldn't you wait, into my list of movies that oh, I have awesome. to watch. that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, thankfully, because of Lucas, I had already like had it in my consciousness to watch. And then, That's great. you know, when I was talking to Conan about interviewing you, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally like was just talking about that movie like literally two weeks ago. Oh, that's I have great. to watch it. And so I definitely am going to. Which is good because when I nagged you to watch it, then you already had it <laughs> on deck. <laughs> it wasn't just Conan nagging me, it was Conan yeah. and Lucas nagging me. I have to say, like, that uh, movie was uh, just a total gift. Um, the guy who made it, this guy, Seth Pomeroy, didn't really know what he was doing necessarily completely when he started, taught himself how to do everything. It was very similar. Yeah. Michael, Michael made a movie called edited a movie called why should the devil have all the good music about yeah. christian rock i still yeah. have never seen that and it's been on it's, my like two watch list for like years it's very cool um heather winna is a good friend of ours yeah. and my wife uh shot it and did the interviews and then michael edited it but he did the same thing where he didn't know what the hell he was doing and he just figured it out and seth i think was a little more schooled but um also you know went to film school on it and it's just awesome. I mean, it really, the thing that's weird is he never saw us, didn't know us before he started making the movie, but he really, it really does capture what it was like, you know, to be in the band. And, and, uh, I, I'm, I was just shocked. The first cut of it that I saw, I was shocked and thought it was great. And then he redid it and it was even better. So that's um, ideal. Yeah. And I think it's sort of universal, uh, which is funny because we were just talking about how, peculiar the music might seem to some people but i think the film does a great job of of not belaboring that and of focusing on kind of the broad story i think that anyone who's busy being in a band during that time period would be able to relate to it you know what i mean no totally and i think that's that's kind of a unique thing to be able to capture as well because i mean there's also things that it touches on the details also like the fact that you know at one point in that band you had three three different singers but nobody really singing together but three yeah, different yeah, singers yeah. with three kind of different song types. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. like, which is just kind of bizarre and jarring, I guess, if you stop and think about it out of context. Yeah. I guess to us it didn't seem weird because, like, the band we were first in together, all of us, was called, uh, well, Joel, Andy, and I. It was called Einheit in Montana. Right. And uh, there were five singers in that band. Oh. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'll take it. Yeah, so it just seems normal to us, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's it actually I mean to me it actually made makes it interesting because, you know, the, some of those some of those early albums it almost like plays like a compilation sometimes, but it all sounds like you guys. And yeah, so. uh you know, it was interesting, but it's also interesting to hear when Joel left the band uh what you guys did with it and sort of like the space there was more space to it to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I can't. I can't really think of a lot of bands that have, have pulled that off. So I think it's kind of like a unique element well, that you managed. When we to do started, that. when we started playing together, the main thing I think that changed was Andy had more room to roam, and then I uh, had been playing fairly deep type bass parts, and I opened up the, my playing a little bit. But by and large, we just replaced Joel with space because we right. didn't. Uh, we actually asked our friend John Lee, who was in a miniature for a while uh, that was his band in san diego great guitar player awesome 
dude, one of my favorite dudes. But we asked him to be in the band right after Joel quit. Oh wow! And he he thought about it and then decided he wasn't gonna move. He would have, would have had to move. So, um, but in retrospect, that was fine, you know. Um, and we definitely never tried to find someone else because we realized if we just sort of basically left things the way they were and sort of kept an empty space where Joel's stuff was, it kind of opened things up in a a way that we liked you know it sounded good to us no it definitely so. and it's 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 kind of interesting because that same feel so is that and then also i want to talk to you about your switch from uh kind of bass over to baritone and just the baritone guitar in general uh yeah yeah because you've definitely in bottomless pit you just were you were a baritone guy you were bar- baritone guitar in that band. yeah and yeah so yeah i mean what i just said was true but i we also we also lost a lot just in terms of music when Joel left, because he's a, one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Super. I've learned more from Joel as an individual about music than anyone else. I know, um, just watching him play, listening to him do stuff and working on his songs and stuff. Uh, he's awesome. So, you know, I, I think, I think the band held up when he left and we made records that were just as good as the other ones. But, uh, that's still a loss, you know, that you have to deal with. And in terms of the sound of the band, I started to miss some of the aspects of his playing um, and felt like I could pick them up better if I had an instrument that spread out a bit more, you know, that wasn't just sure. bass. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that's what got me into playing baritone guitar. And, and then at a certain point, I, that sort of morphed into being my main instrument. Uh, I guess, you know, it's hard when you write a song on bass and you have an idea of what the guitar should do, but you're not playing the guitar. <laughs> right, <laughs> even, right. <laughs> even when you've got a great guitar player like Andy working on it, sometimes I want things to be the way I want them to be. And rather than force him to do what I would like to hear, I, it's easier for me to just do it, you know. Definitely. Well, and it's... it's That's more diplomatic, It's probably. definitely more diplomatic, too, yes. <laughs> well, I, I will I will show him very specifically what I want him to play sometimes, oh. and he would he would do that with me. Uh, fortunately, we never had have had, like, an ego thing about that stuff, That's but I mean, it's just it's simpler, you know? I don't have to be like, oh, no, that one little catch that I do that is just because I can't play guitar as well as you can... Uh, let do that for sure, you know. Right, right. You don't yeah. like arm wrestle it out to figure out yeah, who wins. Dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> I don't remember ever arguing too much about stuff. I mean, every now and then someone will veto something, but that's uh, good. That's good yeah. to hear. I feel like so. that probably comes into play a lot when you've known each other for so long and grown. Like dynamics can be really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, Andy and I have literally been playing together since I was fifteen. You know, right? So. 30 years that's um, wow it's pretty it's pretty it's not exactly automatic but it's pretty effortless at this point yeah well and so and that brings up a, a good point that you know a key moment in the documentary that you haven't got to yet Brenna, is that <laughs> at the at the touch and go 25th um you and andy played obviously this was yeah. very soon after uh michael left there's a lr 72 i think if i remember yeah, correctly yeah uh, but it was yeah. just you guys, and that's to me, that was like such a heavy moment in the documentary. I actually had to stop it, so I can't even imagine what that must have been like playing. playing yeah, live. it was. Uh, I remember that experience very well. Um, we played with Matt Cadane and uh, who played keyboards on a, a bunch of stuff. Um, the last couple of records, I guess. Um, yeah, 
we didn't practice either. Um, we had talked about practicing, and then I think we just realized we didn't talk about it. But I think we were just all like, "Oh God, let's just do it." You know, I don't want to have to go through this twice. You know, um, so we got up there and it started off really weird. It was like something was too fast, or we were playing it wrong, or it was very disorienting. And then it kind of fell into this groove, and it it was. I mean. I hesitate to say it was good because <laughs> it, it felt felt bad. Sort of, it felt very sad, and yeah. super heavy. But it did what it needed to do, um, and given you know the environment and what we were dealing with. So I think it was a very authentic you know expression of what we were going through and what, how we felt for sure. Uh, it succeeded wildly on that front. Um, but yeah, that initial like foray into live music was tough. Like, um, you know, we, we did that. We played, Andy and I played with Mac McNeely from the Jesus lizard some, and just in my oh, basement wow. playing covers. Um, just Holy for crap, really? That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, but it was also totally freakish, like, uh, wildly different kind of drummer. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and we just, just playing with anyone, you know, at that point, oh, a couple sure, months yeah. after Michael died, it was just like bizarre uh my wife said we played just covers and so we were down there and mac could play anything you know literally like we would play we played super not just on a whim one time black sabbath <laughs> yes and he just nailed the entire middle section like I, wow. don't, I don't know if he'd ever played it before you know he just did it right, right um so stuff like that or like we played when the levy breaks and he's immediately he starts and it wow. just sounds like sounds like when the levy breaks you know exactly That's such a great uh, like it should sound so um, but we played Bargain by the Who, and my wife was upstairs. First thing we played together, and um, she said, "Yeah, I was up there, and then I heard him start playing that song, and I just immediately just burst into tears." You know, oh. she just like became this puddle of like sadness. Yeah. Uh, but that was weird, uh, but good therapy. And then the first time we played as Bottomless Pit was just like insane. I've never felt anything like that. On stage, we only had four songs, which was good. Uh, I, I, <laughs> really? It was. I just felt like I was on fire and being electrocuted at the same time. Hmm. Like super, super, every nerve ending was just like super raw. And somehow we did it. And uh, it wasn't just me because I, I talked to Brian Orchard, the bass player in the pit. And sure, yeah. After the show, he was just kind of sitting on the sidewalk outside the club after the show, just staring off into space. And I was like, that was pretty heavy, huh? And he's like, oh, my God. Because, uh, you know, those guys knew and loved Michael, too. And uh, it was crazy. I, I don't really know how we did it, you know, uh, how we got back into it so quickly. Well, and it's... Seems- I mean, sorry to interrupt, but it's almost like, and I didn't know Michael, but just knowing from, you know, whatever, the brief correspondence I had with him on email and whatnot, it seemed yeah. like he would want you guys to, to play. Like, he would want you guys to, to keep going. It wasn't the type of dude to sure. be like, no, you need to quit now. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean it, we, we never discussed, Andy and I never talked about Silkworm after Michael. As soon as Michael died, it was just a you know, fait accompli that it was over. Um, we never talked about continuing to do it and it was obvious to both of us on some, somehow that, you know, it was impossible. So, um, but yeah, it's just, what's, it's just strange to me that like two months after he died, we were playing music. It just seems weird. That's a very compressed timeline, you know, but, um, that's how we dealt with it partly too. And, um, 
you know, you think about, well, like New Order was yeah. you know, a band, like four months after Ian Curtis died, probably, or something. That's just how, how you do it. You know, you just got to keep going. Well, it's funny uh, you mentioned New Order, too, because actually that was one of the first bands I thought of, not because you guys sounded like New Order, but I yeah. immediately thought of that. And well, we did, we, did kind, we did kind of. <laughs> well, and also, what I also immediately thought of is I, I got the vinyl first. The first time I ever heard you guys was, was on vinyl, and since it didn't say what speed that the record was, I just assumed it was 33. All right. <laughs> so first time I heard you guys, I, I that was a, a much slower band than it was. And then <laughs> the vocals kicked in. I was like, oh, I think this is a 45. <laughs> Something's not That's right, yeah. <laughs> but but it did pass the uh, you know form friend of the show uh, Steve Albini has has it says there's like a test that like a, a really great song should work on thirty three or forty five both true true so first song on Hammer of the Gods totally works as a great song because it sounded fine to me I was like oh this is cool right on that's great that's great yeah the um in uh, Silkworm sometimes if we had a show coming up and we hadn't played a, some songs for a while we play them at double speed just to get through them. And uh, they always sounded like Blues Traveler. Like every, <laughs> every single song just God sound, damn it. Had, this, had this like Spin Doctors-y Blues Traveler. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's, that's delightfully terrible. We played one of them. Uh, we played the song Quicksand on a radio show one time. We hadn't practiced it because <clears throat> that's just the way we did stuff back then. We didn't really do that. So uh, we played it and as we're playing i'm like man this sounds like something i don't like and uh, i realized it just sounded like it sounded like a jimmy buffett song to me because we were were playing it a little too fast and was acoustic right and i was like oh that's that's not good i think we talked about it after the song was over so you can really hear the parrot in that uh in that version (laughs) huh yeah yeah unfortunately that's rough man i'm sorry to hear that that's like the worst yeah (laughs) that's yeah that's I'm trying to think if there's anything that no, that's pretty much no. Yeah, that's that's, that's the bottom. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Totally, the anti gravity of music. <laughs> so, um, and this has absolutely nothing to do with that. Uh, so I'm just gonna, right. I apologize Good. for the for the rough segue. <laughs> but how in the world did you end up with with the beef rub? I've got to touch on it. We're running Wait. out of time. So the, oh the, yeah yeah. So that I just I like to cook. I grill and barbecue a lot. And um, so, uh, yeah, usually like the typical thing you do in Texas for barbecue is salt and pepper. And I started branching out a little bit and I tried coffee and sort of folded that into stuff. And then we get takeout food from this Middle Eastern place in Chicago. And they give you these little packets of sumac, which is a very tangy kind of sour spice. Yeah, and yeah. My, wife, my wife suggested using that. Uh, on steaks and so I added that in with my other stuff and it it was awesome so I started using it a lot whenever I cooked for people they would say that's great you know and I'd say part of it's this rub blah 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 and then uh, I had people start asking me for it so I was like well hell with that I'll just make a batch and sell it and then you know now I sell it I guess I sell I've sold a few hundred pounds of it probably yeah, I've uh, I've I've bought some of it. In fact, uh, yeah. the last the last night of uh, PRF West, uh, Tall Chris is manning the grill. Actually, applied it to most of the burgers. I would say, yeah, yeah. and it, w- it went yeah. over very well in a blind taste test. Yeah, it's great. I'm totally, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, the music is a acquired taste, or maybe not for everyone, but I honestly think anyone who likes to eat meat <laughs> will like the beef rough. <laughs> I well, think it's a uni- universal. The, uh, the 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 best 
response that that I felt uh, happened on that day is, is someone uh, happened to be talking about it, and somebody walks up and is like, "Oh, you mean this beef rub guy has a band?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was well, pretty great. Is it half as good as the beef rub? I'm like, yeah, it's it's, it's half as good as the beef rub for sure. You should check it out. Being the inventor of the midget rub is an acceptable. <laughs> it is an, an acceptable epitaph. Yeah, so. as far as legacies go, you could do a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You've yeah. left our, totally, your mark totally in our mouth. <laughs> I, I just I had to share that. I thought that was pretty great. <laughs> the no, beef great. rub guy has a band. <laughs> it makes me happy in a weird way. <laughs> the beef why. rub guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were definitely the beef rub guy too. So just awesome. That's great. <laughs> made that sentence extra awesome. Yeah, that means yeah. all sorts of things in certain yeah. places. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to think of if I really wanted to have the word rub in the title because there's just something inherently kind of pervy about it. But that's what it's called. It's called a rub. So there you I go. mean, and you rub it on the meat. So, yeah, I, I yeah, mean, like, yeah. literally, what else would you call it? Beef. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like, beef. Spice blend or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something uh, delicate. Awesome. Touching of the meat spice—that's even worse. No, you yeah, that is that. worse. Yeah. Well, and I do want to say that my my friend Sean Beatty, uh, uh, many years ago, formerly of if I had a hi-fi Oakland resident, who was a professional spice shop guy, and I, I don't think that's his actual title, but that's what uh-huh. he is. Uh, he was very impressed with it. So, and he's like someone that he's a complete—he's as much of a snob about that as I am about the things I'm a snob about. So that's it's yeah. very you high mean praise. Everything, yeah, everything basically. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's cool. I've had some barbecue guys in Texas latch onto it and stuff, and I'm waiting to see if anything happens with that. That would be funny if it became sort of a thing. Right. But, You're uh, a New York City. <laughs> 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 totally. So, uh, and, and Tim, I, I, once again, I, I want to thank you for uh, for sticking with us, and I'm sorry, well, got to apologize for sure. the technical difficulties. It, it, it's been no a blast. Uh, I did want to make sure that we touched upon Mint Mile. Talk to me about Mint Mile. What's what's this is your your new your new steez, right? Yeah. So I don't know that one of the reasons the pit stopped doing stuff. Part of it was logistical. Uh, people weren't necessarily living in Chicago anymore. It made it semi semi difficult, but. I also just was writing things that sounded different to me, a lot different, and I felt like they needed a different treatment, and we weren't going to have the time to woodshed on it as the pit. It was going to take many hours a week rather than a few hours a month, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. So uh, I just decided I need to do something else, and I'm not really a side project kind of person. (laughs) I can't – I just – if I'm going to do something, I would just want to do that. So uh, the one thing. So, um, yeah, so I started – this thing and it's uh it's my deal um andy cohen plays in it you know from the pit i've I've heard of him yeah familiar yeah yeah we're still (laughs) we're still we're still jamming we practiced last night but um and then jeff panel who played drums in songs ohio the last version of songs ohio the one that made that magnolia electric company record yeah yeah Uh, yeah 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 Yeah, that's the that's the one i like yeah, I met Jeff at one of the. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible thing to say, but <laughs> no, no, there there are a few that are great, but um, uh, a lot actually. But uh, uh, Jeff played on that one in particular, and a couple couple of other things. But I met him at one of the tribute shows, and he's a great drummer, a great guy, and uh, so he plays on the stuff. And you know, it's more. Um, I don't know. It's different. You'll hear it. It's uh, it, the record should be out here in the next month or so. And awesome. It's, I'm going to put out EPs because I think it's easier 
to make a completely good record as an, as an EP. You can't hide something in the middle of side two if it's a four-song EP. So That's what uh, Rick Valentin from uh, Thoughts Detective Machines and Poster Children was saying about like why, yeah. why he like did the first two as EPs. It was almost the exact yep. same thing. Yep, yep. You can't you can't hide you can't bury stuff. And and there's also this thing that happens with me where you end up feeling compelled to get things done so you can put them on the record and I don't want to do that. I just right. want it to be just so. So I'm really happy with the first record. I don't know if other people will like it. I think it's uh I think it's different. It it's ska. Different it's ska, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's very heavily ska. Very, <laughs> it's got a two tone influence. <laughs> yes, sort of ska metal fusion. Oh, <laughs> oh man, no! God damn it! <laughs> Don't. No, it's uh, it's lighter. It's lighter, and it's more kind of um, experimental a little bit, I guess. Maybe I don't think there's an electric guitar on the record, except mm. for a, bit, a little bit of electric baritone. Um, and it, they won't all be like that. That's just the way this one ended up being. Sure. Well, um, I, some, I... a lot of slide on it. My friend Howard Draper. From the band Trey Orsi plays slide all over. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I like Trey Orsi. Yeah. They're awesome. So I, I think uh, I hope that uh, when it is available for the world to listen to, that you'll let us premiere a track or two. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, Absolutely. And um, yeah, that's I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, I guess one one thing I probably should ask: uh, Would you mind doing a station ID for Radio Nope? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, so just uh, you know, people's microphone style. As uh, you said, you could just take like the standard standard issue. You know, this is this is Tim Beef Rub guy, <laughs> and you're Tim listening to Radio Beef. Nope. <laughs> um, okay, uh, you ready for me to do this? Yeah, just fire at me. This is Tim Midyet from Silkworm, Bottomless Pit, and Mint Mile. You are listening to Radio Nope. It's awesome. Right. I love it! Yay! <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a damn pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard earlier, but uh, when I originally conceived of the, uh, the idea behind this show, uh, one of the people that I thought of in my mind's eye that I wanted to oh. talk to was you. So, uh, I oh now, sweet, I have now checked that off. Of, oh uh, great! I'm glad list. I could oblige. I'm glad you asked me to do it. And uh, yeah, I, I wish you all the best, and uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Conan, and thank you, Brenna. You're welcome. Thank you. Lovely stories. All right, Tim. All right. <laughs> Take yeah, care. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Later, man. All right. Bye. There he is. What there a fabulous storyteller. Yeah. Let's um let's hear a song. I know you got something to play, too, and then we're going to get the hell out of here. How about that? Let's uh let's hear Plane. Uh, yeah, good times. Mm-hmm.
so plain Just look the other way Do you want to stay and stay with
All right. Who was that, Brenna? That was a... Uh, the Soft Moon. The Soft Moon. That was a Soft Moon with uh, something. The... <laughs> Deeper. Ow. The album is called <sighs> Deeper. The song is called Black. And I just saw them on Tuesday at the chapel. And they were amazing. Cool, cool, live. cool. So check check them out if you get the chance. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, our guest, Timmy Jeff from uh, Silkworm, Bottomless Pit, Mint Mile, etc. <laughs> Beef Rub Guy. <laughs> Beef Rub Guy. Better known as the Beef Rub Guy. As the Beef Rub. No, he was a lovely guest. That yeah. was great. Love Thank you, Tim. That, that was awesome. Um, podcast, the show is going to be up, radioneutron.com. I'll try to get that up in a timely manner. We're redoing that entire site, by the way. More projects for Conan. Yeah, hooray! I'm not Woo. busy enough. Um, so real quick, yeah, the show's called Protonic Reversal. It's every 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thursdays. Radio Nope. Dot com. There's a Facebook page if you if you must. Uh, or people, we're real people too. You could just like come up and say hi. <laughs> you could also come up and say hi, like people were at the barbecue. Yeah, just you know, what's up, Brenna? And I'll be like, hey, you. What's up? Uh, yeah, we're out. Uh, next week, uh, Russell Emerson Hall from Journey is Journey. Should be fun. Cool. All right. Until next time. Take it easy. Check you later. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Electricity. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, you're dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10.
like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day See?